Welcome to today's episode of the Doing Good Podcast. Today we're talking to Hillary, an inspiring example of volunteerism. During the COVID crisis, Hillary founded a unique nonprofit to help provide food for the homeless. Since founding her nonprofit, Hillary has been reminded of how similar we all really are. As Maya Angelou said, we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. Today, Hillary is sharing her inspiring story and why she believes everyone can make a difference when they volunteer. Hillary, welcome to the Doing Good Podcast. This is Megan McInnes, the host for today, and I am so pleased to be able to celebrate you and your volunteerism today. Would you tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, just a little bit about your life, where you live, if you're married, if you have dogs or children or anything like that, that we could just better understand who you are as a person? Sure. Uh, my name is Hillary Cohen. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles, California, and I grew up in Glastonbury, Connecticut. I went to college at Clark University and majored in both theater and film. Um, when I graduated college, I moved back to LA and that's where I've been ever since. Currently, I still live in LA. I am engaged to my fiance, Chad, and we're getting married in September. He has a lovely little son who is nine that will be my stepson named Hugh. And I also have a dog who very much earned her name named Drama. <laughs> that sounds great. I love that. <laughs> you get banned from a lot of dog groomers. She's a handful. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, congratulations on your engagement and becoming an instant mom. I am sure, though, that you'll have no problem stepping into those roles and making the most of them. So enjoy that new phase in your life. Would you tell us a little bit about what you do as a volunteer? Where do you volunteer and how? Sure. Um, so I volunteer mainly for my own nonprofit that I started, which really should I should backtrack a bit and really tell you, I guess, how I got there. So I have been an assistant director in film and television for the past 10 years in the Directors Guild of America. For most of my career, I was a key second AD on NCIS Los Angeles. During COVID, I moved on up to be the assistant unit production manager. And now I run all of our COVID testing, which is pretty much a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. But I have learned so much this year professionally and just about production that I never would have otherwise. So it's been an interesting ride. But in production... You basically never stop. And then you have a little bit of a hiatus where you get to go on vacation and then you come back and then you work for 10 months. I was really on this rotation for 10 years and I would work for 10 months and then I would travel for two months and then I would go back. And I always said, I really wish there would be a day where I could just hit the pause button and everything would stop and I could have time to like do the things that I want to do. And oddly enough, COVID for me was that stop. Everything shut down. I couldn't travel. I couldn't work. And I was stuck at home. And while that was happening, I had like two days where I watched Netflix for like 48 hours. And then I really am not a person who can sit still. So I went to the supermarket and I just started to kind of panic for the employees at the supermarket and think about like, holy cow, all this stuff that isn't going to be available. Like these people are never going to get masks and like, they're going to have to continue to work and they bag groceries. They signed up to bag groceries and now they are on the frontline worker of like the scariest place for me to go was the grocery store. I had been hearing that, you know, we were out of PPE, which was a very strange experience a year ago. Now that we've all been through it, it's very normal, but 
um, I just started thinking that no one was going to send grocery workers anything, you know, they were going to just be left kind of to fend for themselves. And a grocery store employee signs up to, you know, bag produce, and it's a low stress job. So I think to have that person instantly be thrown into like the battlefield, to me, just seemed absolutely crazy. (laughs) It was just very alarming, you know, and I'd heard about people sewing and I've sewn my whole life. And Joanne Fabrics had this thing where you could go buy this kit to sew face masks. And I called Joanne Fabrics and they were still open. And I drove there and I was all excited and they were closed like forever, like the COVID closed. And I was like, but I I need to sew face masks. (laughs) So, you know, frustrated, I drove home. I emptied out my craft bin. I found out that I had tons of cotton in my scrap bin, which was so cool because as a crafter, uh, your scraps are like bits and pieces of your heart. It's things you made for your granddaughter or your mom or for a Halloween costume. And you don't ever know what to do with those pieces, but you don't want to throw them out. So it was so cool to create face masks for people through like my own journey of crafting. So I started sewing face masks, which was like a whole nother part of this year. I created this group called Call to Crafting. I personally sewed 5,000 face masks, which I do think is literally insane. I hosted four 12-hour sewathons where we had guests from all over the world, including Isaac Mizrahi, which I still can't believe that he was like on my sewathon. <laughs> and it was crazy. And we had this whole network of sewers across the United States. And, you know, it was during a really charged time in our country. I think I was like violently sewing face masks. My sewing machine was like shaking and I, I couldn't sit still. It's like, it's still this feeling. It's like this itchy feeling inside of you. And I just couldn't go back to work and not do something different. So I just kind of started to think about what that was going to be. Because running for government for me is really overwhelming, right? So for me to make a change, I I really didn't know how I was going to do that. Because I don't think that that's the path for me. But I started thinking about what if every day, every person woke up and just thought about helping somebody. And that's all that you did. You woke up, you went to your job, and then instead of the other stuff, you helped someone else every day. Whether that was taking out someone else's trash or your neighbor next door, you know, is going through a hard time. So you buy them some groceries, especially during COVID, right? When people couldn't leave their homes. What if we all did that every day? So I tried to think of a way that we could do that. I created a nonprofit called Everyday Action, where that is our main mission, is every day for people to stand up and just do something for someone else. It doesn't have to be moving a mountain. It can be a little thing. And if we all do that every day, I really do think there is going to be a shift. So in the film business, a lot of food gets thrown out every day. And for my very first day on a film set, I watched just massive amounts of food get thrown out. And when I say food, I mean like filet mignon and lobster and grilled chicken breast and steak and couscous. I also have a cousin in my life who is homeless for a short period of time. And I have always just seen people for people. I don't know if what that is. That's just how I see people. I've never understood the hierarchy of like a company or people treating people because they're more superior than anyone else. Like we're all just people. So that to me is just always who I've been. And I just see people. So because of that, in COVID, it really just, it just became more about helping people very urgently. I cannot even go on about the amazing food that we reallocate. I was always told 
we couldn't give it to people because we would just get sued or it was like too difficult. And as a member of production, I just accepted that because being in production is difficult. There's so much to plan. It's hard to think about the trash as well. But I think we sort of have a responsibility to do that. Hollywood's been really proud of going green. We have less paper and we're really proud of our water bottles we don't use. But I think we've forgotten a little bit about the people on the other side of the fence where we're shooting. You know, a lot of sets in LA are downtown next to Skid Row, in Skid Row, with a fence just like blocking you outside of it and we're baking gourmet meals that we throw out in front of them and it's gross it's embarrassing and it's something that we all need to say we did this but we're not going to do it anymore so what do you do now what are the steps you take now to carry that out for someone who has never stepped foot on a film set what does it look like what do you have to i'll say get through in order to get to the food and get the food to the right people who you're trying to serve. So the hardest part about getting to the food in the first place is just having a production trust you. My business partner, Sam and myself are both ADs and we speak production. So I can look at a call sheet, which is basically the plan for the day and know when a company is going to break for lunch. I can look at your map and know where the caterer is going to be. And I know all of the stress involved with someone else entering that world. You don't want someone showing up on a film set being like, oh my goodness, did you see Hillary Cohen today? That's not what we're here for, right? We're just here to save the food. So our little bubble of people, which is background artists and PAs who work for us as volunteers and employees, show up and they just pick up the food. So what Sam and I realized is we needed liability insurance and we needed to be a real company in order for film businesses to take us seriously. So we got liability insurance and we got a contract that we send to studios and we showed them that it was not hard to donate food. And we went to a DGA meeting where a producer took a chance on us for reshoots on an Oscar movie. Sam and I bought a cooler and some thermal bags and went out on the streets by ourselves for two days. Uh, we saved 175 meals in two days and just passed them out on the street. We drove up to the back of the catering truck, picked the food up and drove away. Takes like three minutes. And then we walk around and pass it to encampments and give it to people in need. Today is actually our one year anniversary. We have reallocated since that day, 111,055 meals from 30 film productions. So this past year we've grown an insane amount and it really just comes from the effort. The way that our business is hopeful to grow is that our volunteers on the floor who are PAs in background, they're like the least paid employees in a production. I call them like the blueprint. What you may not know about them is they often don't make enough to even live in Los Angeles, even if they work a full week. But a lot of them don't. They have staggered employment. They'll work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And on the following week, they have Wednesday, Friday. And it's hard to have a part-time job when your schedule is shifting every week. So we want to pay PAs and background in between their jobs to be our superheroes on the floor and reallocate the food with us because they know production. But we also want to take care of another part of our business that we think has kind of been forgotten about. So we're trying to create this like cyclical organization that takes the food from film sets with the people on film sets who have been forgotten about and gives directly back to them. That's such a different way of looking at things because while I absolutely hear that you're serving the people who are hungry and homeless, you're really looking at it from the lens of the business and what the business has to offer and the resources and the logistics involved. 
and the people involved and how to how to bring them together, creatively solve the problem in a new way and just make it happen. So kudos to you, because I don't think that that happens all too often anymore. You know, I think people have gotten jaded and just gotten used to how things have been and they continue that. But that is one thing that COVID has taught us. <laughs> is that we all need to be able to go with the flow and think on our feet and just frankly be a creative problem solver whenever we need to or whenever the situation demands it. That is what your volunteering looks like because I'm hearing you talk about not just the administrative side and the strategic planning side, but also carrying it out. Would you share a story of your volunteering rather than telling us about the volunteering literally share a story with us that you and maybe sam shared together and what that meant to you yeah actually we recently came up uh, i have a cabin in big bear and one of our shows was doing a location shoot so we came up to big bear for a few days to reallocate their food usually if we have a show starting off sam and i like to try to be there on day one but we have full-time jobs so sometimes we can't but we were out, up in big bear and the big bear population is really different the homeless population is really different than los angeles whereas los angeles it's kind of right in front of your face it's cold in big bear so the people who are homeless aren't as visible so we worked with a non profit up in Big Bear that also helps people in need. And they kind of gave us their list of people that they help. Um, and Sam and I went through the list and it was such a different experience because it was really going door to door, people who were just really needing help coming out of their little home. And there's this one woman, Frances, that I still visit every time I'm up in Big Bear. She had a really big dog and her dog had bit someone and she was evicted from her apartment in her car. And then her car was impounded. And, you know, everyone has a story. That's really what I've learned about helping those who are unhoused. And while it's easy to say, oh, we'll just go get rid of your dog and go have a house. That's like her only lifeline. That's her friend. So it's really easy for someone on the outside to say that. But, you know, we all have something that we wouldn't give up. So Francis won't give up her dog. And because of that, she has nowhere to live. Um, and this coalition has put her up in this little cabin. And, you know, I knocked on the door and I've never heard someone say so honestly, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. And just the honesty in her voice of just being so hungry. I, it still it just moves me to tears how people can just be so hungry. And it was just to provide her that simple thing of food was just so meaningful. And I will never forget just her saying that and looking in her house, you know, we're like, oh, are you okay? And it was like a bed with no sheets and she had no towels. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And we're like, okay, well, do you have any bedding? You know, no, no. So of course, Sam and I, we always say we couldn't be superheroes for our own organization every day because they would run out of money by Tuesday. <laughs> Um, because we just can't not help every way we can. I'd probably give us all in my car if I didn't need it to drive. So we went out and got her sheets and um, I have a cabin that has an Airbnb. So I was like, oh, I definitely have sheets and bedding I can get rid of. And, you know, we brought her all of this stuff. We went to the Salvation Army and got her some clothes. And yeah, it's just like Francis really reminds me. It's just a normal person who has a rough story. And even if, you know, I think that people are very judgmental over those who are unhoused. Even if someone does have a drug addiction, you don't know why they have that drug addiction. Maybe they were in the military and they were on some sort of medicine that caused them to be addicted to an opioid. You just have no reason to judge someone for their story or whatever they struggle with because you don't actually know what got them there in the first place. So I think that's what I've learned the most about helping people and people like Francis is like they're just people 
And I think that so many of us forget that it's so easy just to walk by an encampment and be like, oh, those gross people living here, but they're just people like you and me. You're so right. I mean, there's, we're all people, just stories like that, that you realize we all either know Francis or we are Francis. And that meal, of course, meant so much to her, but then you clothed her and did so much other. So you just never know the ripple effect of your volunteer activity, whether for the other person or for you. So I think that's one of the beautiful things about volunteering. What advice would you give to companies out there who are wanting to get involved with their local communities in some way, but just haven't figured out yet how to do that? I'd say look to the local nonprofits around you that are actively doing something because in almost every city, state, region, there are 10 nonprofits that are already doing what you want to do. They just don't have funding and they don't have the support. So I would say look out to your local nonprofit community and just reach out and see how you can get involved in their mission already um, and how you can elevate it. Because that's what a corporation or a, a large company has is money and resources. And that's what a nonprofit doesn't. So really, if you just provide that towards someone's mission already that you're passionate about, you're probably going to get there faster than, you know, starting your own corporate program that already existed. So I would say, like, try to collaborate with nonprofits in existence that have like a similar mission to what you're looking on. Doing. Perfect. Yes. And then what advice would you give to individuals who are just looking for ways to engage and maybe they haven't figured out yet what their true passion is? You know, so they're not necessarily directed in one way or another. But do you have suggestions for them? I'd say that what stops most people from volunteering is really just being afraid. It's like you're afraid of that inside of yourself, which is something that I am trying to get everyday action to kind of look at this year is like, what is that within people that is scary to help somebody? What's alarming? Why is that uncomfortable? And I think looking inside and just saying maybe that other people out there who need help or assistance are just like me and trying to find someone or something that relates to something in your life. So if you're someone who's really passionate about animals, you know, a nonprofit that works with an animal that you're passionate about and see what they're doing this week or next week and how you can volunteer on the floor. Or if you're not someone that can go outside, maybe you are at home or working from home, a lot of organizations can really use online help. You know, if you're someone who is really good with the computer or is really passionate about social media, those are things that nonprofit organizations really need help with and often don't have the time or really resources to handle because they're too busy doing the work on the floor. So they actually need people doing all the organizing and all the other things. And that's a really great place to get involved without leaving your home or maybe doing something that seems scary. And then that might lead you to get out of your home in the future because you become connected to something that you worked with, you know, on a computer level. That's right. That's right. And I agree with you. And I think COVID has opened our eyes as a civilization, really, to the fact that you can volunteer from your home. You really can. And it used to be just placing phone calls or stuffing mailings from your home. But no, you can really do so much more. And if, if COVID taught us nothing else, we absolutely know that a business can run remotely. And because of that, the same thing is true for nonprofits. You're exactly right when you say that nonprofits need that help with, say, social media, because they're out there fulfilling the mission already. They just need help to get the word out. And they need, they need that remote help. And so it's perfect, especially for those people who are still at home due to COVID. Are there any 
final thoughts that you have or maybe messages you would like to get across, Hillary, that uh, maybe you haven't spoken about or brought up yet today? There's another story I'd like to tell. And I think that's the thing that I'm asked the most when people don't understand is, well, like what happens when you go there? Or like, what if, what if they tell their friends about your food? Or I don't know, there's all these really strange questions about like, what might happen if you give someone something? And I just want people to remember that people who are unhoused are people. And I think one thing that I didn't realize when I started volunteering was how much of a person that they are and how much choice is important to people. And we pass out face masks with all of our meals and homeless kits, um, try to have different variety of food. And I can't tell you the choice, giving someone a choice of something, how much it lightens their face to then just say, this is yours. You know, it's like, oh, you need something, have it. Well, maybe that person doesn't want that. And that was a a hard thing for me to understand. I met someone who was vegan and I only had meat. And I was like, oh, well, you're homeless. Like you should just eat this food. And then I'm like, well, no, that's not the right thing for me to think. I need to adjust how I think about this because how would I feel if I was kosher on the street and someone was like, you need to eat this cheeseburger. You know, I would feel so much more unseen than I already was. So just know that when you're helping someone, you know, sometimes it's not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. They might not be appreciative, but that's still okay. And try not to let that discourage you. You know, sometimes I go out with my partner and he, for some reason, always goes on runs where, you know, it doesn't go exactly as planned. And he's always like, I don't understand they don't want my food, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, they just had something else going on today, but that's okay. And I just want that to be remembered is that people out there are people, they're just like you and me and giving someone choice is also giving them freedom. So don't be alarmed if you do approach someone and they don't want help. That doesn't mean that you can't go help someone else, but don't let it ruin kind of your experience in general. That is something I think that only if you experienced it, would you be able to share that? Was the vegan experience where you gleaned that from, or is it something you experience more often through your volunteerism? I think it's things we encounter really every week on the floor. There's always going to be roadblocks and people who have, you know, different ideas of what they need or what you're providing. But I'd say 95% of the time, it's always met with like the most gracious human being I've ever met. And all of our volunteers email stories in every day. And we pick up from like seven to 10 shows a day. So every day there's seven to 10 amazing stories. And every day there's somebody who has given food to someone and they try to give them something back. Like they're so gracious for the gift that they can't even accept it. I wish more people out there would proactively do something with the homeless. And it is what you're saying, just pure gratitude. I agree. We also don't just serve those living in encampments. We also have a huge network of shelters and community fridges that we also serve. There's a nonprofit called LA Community Fridges, and they have fridges plugged in all over the city. Anyone can put food in them, but a prepared meal has to be from a professional kitchen. So ours is that, and we fill their fridges every week. So anyone struggling with food insecurity, especially in LA, if you see those RVs parked all over the road, can use those fridges. 
And then we donate to shelters all over Los Angeles. We cover about a 90 mile radius with our deliveries. We go from Santa Clarita to San Pedro and we try to drop off as close to where the set was that we serviced. And we have met this huge network of nonprofits that we drop food off to every day. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful network of people who enjoy helping people. And I'd say from working in the entertainment business, as you reach out to people, they're not so friendly to you. The nonprofit space is the most warming, beautiful space I've ever been a part of. And I just can't wait to like continue my entire life working in nonprofit because the people I have met are so beautiful. (laughs) Well, that is very generous, but I'm sure they feel the same way about you. Now, you've mentioned already today how your nonprofit has partnered with another nonprofit with saying Big Bear. And then now you're talking about your network throughout LA. Can you give a few names and help us understand, I'll say the variety and diversity of nonprofits that you partner with? Because one thing that a lot of people don't realize is when you fund, uh, when you donate a dollar, $10, $100 to a nonprofit, which partners with other nonprofits, your money goes so much further. And those partnerships just really create and help build community. Yeah, that's something that Sam and I have been really working with this past year. We pick up foods from catering sets. Some of them are prepackaged. Some of them are in trays. So when we pick up giant trays of food, which is actually the bulk of what we pick up, we can't just drop that off to an encampment because what's a person going to do with 17 pounds of steak? So we had to adapt and figure out where are we going to take this food? First, we put it in the community fridges, but a lot of people would take their hands and take part of the meal. So that wasn't really sanitary and we didn't want to hurt another nonprofit. So we only drop off in community fridges when it's sealed in an individual meal. But the trays were something we really had to spread our outreach for. So that's what we did. In Santa Clarita, we work with Bridge to Home. They're a shelter that is open almost 24 hours a day. And we drop off really 24 hours a day, seven days a week to them almost every day from at least one show. In Hollywood, we drop off to Youth Emerging Stronger. They have three or four locations, which are all youth under the age of 18, which is like the most beautiful experience. Actually, my fiance and stepson drop off to them as well as five acres in Altadena. My stepson cleaned out his closet and clothes and shoes and toys and brought, I think, like three carloads to them one day on top of one of our shows, Insecure, donated pretty much everything from all of their sets to us. So it was like a birthday party of ninja gear and all these baby supplies, like all this random stuff. But at the orphanage and at this nonprofit, they have birthday parties. So we were able to give them this amazing, beautiful birthday party for free that they can use probably for the whole year because it's such high quality, you know, birthday stuff. Down in the South Bay, there's two nonprofits that we work with, Family of Promise South Bay and the Beacon Light Mission and Doors Women's Shelter. We have a show in Manhattan Beach Studios daily, so we're always dropping over to them. And then LA Community Fridges is a nonprofit that we work with daily we drop off to them they have fridges all over the city so at least one fridge we're filling and that's really been the coolest part is this like nonprofit world opening up we're really trying to work with sila and food on foot and all the other nonprofits in la that also deliver food because we're gonna reach a tipping point where we have so much food that we need more places to bring it and this past year from 30 sets it was 100,000 pieces of food over that so that is the skim of the surface in la of production 
we should have a hundred shows and a million food items. So that's really the goal is to do that, get a food truck and just stop throwing the food out. That's so exciting. And I have to say too, for the rest of us in the rest of the country, there are film productions happening here and there. And frankly, they can do the same thing. If they're interested in that, could they contact you? And would this be through your nonprofit or would they need to set up their own nonprofit? We've actually already been approached about setting up Everyday Action in Atlanta, New York, and New Orleans. Currently, Sam and I can't do those ourselves, but we can certainly help people set up Everyday Actions in their hubs. And there's a corporation that we're working with. We can't really say what we're doing yet, but we're hoping to roll out programs in New York and Atlanta with them. So that's definitely something we want to do. So if anyone out there is interested in in those production hub cities and wants to be on the front line of starting an Everyday Action in your city, certainly reach out on our website website. It's youreverydayaction.org. And we are looking for people in those cities to start um, everyday action in the next year or two. So definitely. That is so exciting. Well, you are an incredible person and you have created such a meaningful nonprofit that really brings resources together in order to provide for people, it doesn't have to, you know, I'll say create new things or spend additional funding to do this or that. It's already there. And I think it's really just a cool way for that you've developed and then also for other people to develop and do the same in their communities. Thank you so much for today. And thank you and Sam for your efforts. And I'm so excited about you and your engagement and becoming a mom and, you know, there's no telling. I'm sure you're going to rope in your family to do even more nonprofit stuff they never imagined. Well, thank you. It was so fun to meet you and it was so great to be here. Thank you for your time, Hillary. We enjoy you. And, um, and thank you so much for all you do to volunteer and make a difference in the lives of so many others. This has been the Doing Good Podcast. We're glad you joined us to celebrate people who are making a difference. We hope you'll consider donating to Doing Good, the 501c3 nonprofit, to support this podcast and other programs which celebrate those who do good.